It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome into the show, everyone. We got a great one for you today here on this Saturday, December 12th, as we look to preview UFC 256 Figueredo versus Moreno, which will take place in just a matter of hours as we are doing a shotgun start here. Uh, but better better late than never. Uh, and uh, what, what a good card this will be. Uh, I'm I'm pretty impressed with it, uh, all things considered. Especially considering uh, the uh, the the card on the 19th. Even though uh, it was supposed to be Hamzat and Leon Edwards, uh, that's essentially another pay per view. Uh, when when you look at how stacked it is, which is rare because obviously fight night cards are uh, you know you might have two or three hyped matches on there. Of course, you'll have more than two or three good fights because you could you know. Like I always say, you could put two unknown people against each other. doesn't mean it's going to be a bad fight. You just don't know who they are. Um, but yeah, it should be a good one here today. Uh, we have some uh, some housekeeping with the main card showdown that we'll get to uh, to start the show, and then we'll finish it with the uh, preview of 256. Uh, so with that, we'll get into uh, the main card showdown. Um, obviously, it's the beginning of the December World Grand Prix. And uh, last Saturday, we announced uh, one of the matchups. Obviously, uh, Jordan, because he's the champ, obviously he's in the tournament. Uh, Reagan got a win last week, so it'll be uh, Jordan and Reagan in, on one side of the bracket. And uh, t- t- uh, today, right now, we can announce that the other side of the bracket is a rivalry as old as time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rivalries going on right now in college football. I was just watching... Uh, the Battle of the Heartlands between Iowa and Wisconsin. Solid, solid rivalry. Goes back for, for many a decades, but never as good of a rivalry as the mailman and the locomotive. So that will be the other matchup uh, on the other side of the bracket. Uh, so that, that should be a good one. Uh, other than that, really not a whole lot to talk about. That's, that's the matchup. It'll be concluded uh, on the 19th. And, yeah, that's about it. You know, I, I gave some consideration to having, like, a year-end um, bracket, but then that, that wouldn't really make sense if you won the year-end one. Like, oh, you'd, you'd be the Grand Prix winner of 2020, but I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're still looking to do more with the, with the main card showdown, but um, I, I don't think we're going to do the, the year-end. We'll just keep doing the monthly um, things. Um. Oh, breaking news. Kevin Sumlin is out as head coach of Arizona. I could have told you that after watching that game last night. Holy shit, that was a bad game. That was a really bad game. Uh, what was it, like 70-7 to 7 or something? Yeah, that is that is terrible. I was just thinking about that, how far Kevin Sumlin is, has fallen off. I totally forgot he was at Arizona until I was going over some of the, the D1 coaches um, a couple of days ago. And, yeah, holy shit. I mean... You think about all the the guys he had at Texas A&M. I mean, just getting top recruits. Although a lot of the top recruits, recruits in fairness, didn't really work out. Like I think Speedy Noyle was like a fucking like one of like the top ten players, and uh, 
think he left early. He had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Um, fuck, who's the other guy? Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, that's the other guy too. I mean, I guess he's still in the league, but holding on, you know, by his fingertips. But you know, Johnny Manziel and Jake Matthews and uh, Mike Evans and all those guys. Uh, that's fuck. Luke Jokel too is second pick in the draft, but uh, maybe that's for another show. Um, but yeah, let's get into this preview here of 256. Only uh, 10 fights on this uh, entire card. A lot of canceled and fizzled bouts that I want to get to just briefly. Um, some of the some of the notable ones there. This was supposed to be uh, a title fight between Amanda Nunes and. Uh, Megan, Megan Anderson. I'm not going to call you Megan. Megan Anderson, who people love to simp over, which, you know, whatever. I don't understand it. Don't don't simp over anybody, by the way. I, I can't stand simps. But, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that's good that that fight got uh, canceled because that would have been a first 15-second knockout by uh, Amanda Nunes. Uh, I cannot believe Megan Anderson got a title shot. That's fucking insane. Uh, we also were supposed to have Kamaru Usman and uh, Gilbert Burns. Uh, unfortunate. What is that? That's supposed to be um, 258 or whatever. So not the, not the January one with McGregor and uh, Poirier, but I think that's supposed to be the one after. Um, that'll be a good one. Uh, obviously, Vittori was supposed to fight on this card against Amari Akhmedov, which would have been a fucking bore fest. So I'm glad he, uh, you know got his fight against Hermanson is not and is uh, now ranked in the uh, the top four uh another title fight that got canceled on this Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling uh that's the fight to make at bantamweight there there is no other I don't understand how anybody could deny Aljo his his title shot I mean especially after he just put the fucking work on Sandhagen in like 40 seconds or whatever or maybe it was a little maybe it was a little longer than that but um you know I don't know, man. He's had his setbacks, but all of his setbacks have come at the highest level. Like, you know, what is it? I don't think it was technically announced, but for all intents and purposes, uh, that fight with uh, Marlon Marais was was a title eliminator. Uh, you know, and obviously he got. Uh, well, I think it went down as a head kick KO, but I'm pretty sure it was the knee. Um, you know, but that guy that guy's put in work, and uh, I don't know if that's scheduled in in the future. So that's a little that's a little concerning, but I I don't see how they couldn't do that. Uh, well, actually, I, actually I could because it's the UFC. But uh, yeah, and then yeah, that's that's pretty much it. A bunch of other canceled bouts that nobody really cares about. Um, Dolce Lungiambula was supposed to make his uh, middleweight debut in the UFC. That's interesting because he's five foot eight or five foot nine, uh, and was fighting at two hundred five pounds. Saw him at the infamous. UFC Minneapolis card. He knocked out um, uh, Daquan Townsend. Um, yeah, but with that, let's get into uh, the prelim opener. It's going to be a featherweight fight between Chase Hooper and Peter Barrett. Hooper is 9 1 and 1. Barrett is uh, 14, no, excuse me, 11 and 4. Uh, we'll try to pull up the odds on this one. They're going to have Hooper as the minus 280 favorite. Uh, a lot of people are expecting Hooper, <clears throat> excuse me, to get a to get a finish here. Uh, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I I think Barrett probably runs a risk of getting cut uh, after this fight. I, I don't really see a path to, to victory for him. Not saying it couldn't happen, um, but uh, he is 34 years old. 
Um, and, and he made his UFC debut back in August, lost to uh, Yusuf Salal. Pretty bad, uh, by the way. It was a, a unanimous decision, but he, he did get battered um, pretty bad in that. Um, Zalal almost finished him a couple of times uh, in that fight. And, um, yeah, I don't know. 30, 34 is a little a little up there. And, uh, you know, Chase Hooper, what is he? Is he still 19? Or I, I feel like he's he's... Oh, he's 21. Okay, so he was on the Contender Series when he was 19. But yeah, 21. Um, had a, had a really um, tough test with uh, as I get some uh, messages here from uh, the locomotive. Uh, but had a really tough test against uh, Alex Caceres. Um, you know what I mean? Caceres has been in the UFC for like seven or eight years. Um, obviously, you look at his wins and losses. I mean, you know, he's going to win one, lose one, win one, lose one. But just a tricky guy. Um, really, really a, a gatekeeper um, in, in that division. So, you know, it was a little bit too much too soon. You know, Hooper's going to have to work on his striking. Although, in, in fairness, I mean, the one thing that Caceres is known for is, is his striking. So, you know, to get outstruck by Caceres, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't hang your head on that. Obviously, to lose to, to a guy like Caceres, you know, people will clown you for that, but um, you know, again, like I always say, it's it's tough to learn in the UFC. It's it's a really tricky thing to do. Uh, I, I don't think there will be any learning going on here. I think it'll be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, hammering, and uh, Peter Barrett's going to be the nail. So I'll go Chase Hooper uh, by uh, finish. Uh, let's see here. Moving on, we will have a... Strawweight fight. Okay, Jesus. Yeah, my phone had a fucking seizure there. Uh, a strawweight fight here between Tisha Torres and Sam Hughes. Torres is 11 and 5. Sam Hughes is 5 and 1. Uh, we'll look at the odds here. This coming from Bovada. Uh, they're going to have Tisha Torres as the biggest favorite on the card, minus 650. Uh, that is <laughs> that is rather large. That is rather large. And. Uh, for whatever it's worth, the expected outcome of this fight, uh, it's tough to tell because I'm just kind of eyeballing the graph here. There's not really uh, clear delineations with the numbers, but like 90% of people expect it to be a decision. Uh, I think that's fair. I think Tisha Torres should not be in the UFC. Uh, she was on that four-fight losing streak, uh, and uh, you know, I don't know. It, it gets weird with the female side of the equation because. Um, it's tough to know who's going to get cut because they're always signing so many fighters trying to build those divisions that it's really tough. Like if I look at a if I look at a male fighter who's not in the rankings um, and he loses three fights in a row, I can almost guarantee you he's going to be cut. But if I look at a, a female fighter who's who's you know one in four in their last five, I don't know. I mean, there, we had Ostevich get cut because she was like two and five in the UFC. Okay, well, if you're two and five, you're going to get cut. But I don't really know what the methodology is for releasing female fighters. Um, I think supply and demand is just a little a little different um, on on the female side. That might keep some fighters with uh, subpar records um, still in the UFC, like a Randa Marcos or or whatever. But uh, neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so she's coming off of a win over Brianna Van Buren. 
Um, I think that was the shortest fight in UFC history because I think Van Buren's like four and eleven, and Tisha Torres is five and one, uh, five and one, five foot one. Um, I don't know. I, I know. I know absolutely nothing about Sam Hughes. Um, so I, I will go Tisha Torres just because she, she's such a big favorite. Um, but I, I'd be lying if I said I knew anything about Sam Hughes. Um, she did lose in LFA to Vanessa Demopoulos, um, who fought, was it this season on, on the Contender Series? Feels like it was fucking years ago. Um, but yeah, she, so she lost to her. I think she was champ over in LFA. And then she lost to, yeah, Corey McKenna. Okay, so it was this year. Jesus, that was only four months ago? Holy shit, feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but that, that's really the only notable there on uh, Sam Hughes' record. Um, also notable that I'm pretty—wasn't Vanessa Demopoulos a stripper? Or currently one? No, she, no, I think she was a stripper and then quit to become a fighter. Um— Either way, I'm sure her parents are very proud of her. Um, yeah, we'll we'll go uh, Tisha Torres, of course, by, of course by decision. It's not even a question whether or not it's a decision. Uh, moving on here, we'll have a featherweight fight between Billy Corintillo and Gavin Tucker. Corintillo is 15 and two. Gavin Tucker is 12 and one. Uh, we'll look at the odds here. They will have uh, Billy Corintillo as the minus 180 favorite. Uh, I want to look at some of the prop bets on here because uh, I, fi- I find this fight pretty interesting. Um, so it's, it's minus 160. The fight goes to a decision. That is interesting, especially considering their, their last couple of fights. Um, Corintillo... Uh, he's on one hell of a streak here. He's on a eight-fight winning streak, three and zero in the UFC. Really, really, really three and a half in zero in the UFC if you count in the Contender Series. Um, th- this is his first step up in competition uh, w- with Gavin Tucker, a guy who's been around for a while. hasn't had a ton of fights in the UFC, um, but he's been around for for a hot minute. I think he was sidelined with injuries for a, a couple of years. Um, but uh, he, he's got two wins uh, in, in the last year and a half. Um, before that, he had uh, basically two years on the sidelines. Uh, but uh, a choke over uh, Justin James and a choke over uh, Sung Woo Choi. Um, tough, tough fighter, tough fighter. I was impressed with his performance against Justin James. I was surprised it was a submission because he had him hurt real bad. He was just bringing it to Justin James hurting him he did a really good job at like squaring him off and kind of like forcing forcing him to the fence um so i, I guess it's not surprising he choked him out because you know hurt somebody force him to the fence and uh you know uh, takedown will be there um I'm, I'm still gonna go billy quarantillo on this one and i guess i'll go by decision just because i don't know if we, if we think it's going to a decision that's that's fine although quarantillo is pretty uh well-rounded i mean you look at his last few fights I mean, he's got a, 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 a couple of KOs on his record. Uh, he's got uh, some chokes on his record. So, you know, Quarantillo is a well-rounded fighter. He was also on the uh, that season of The Ultimate Fighter with uh, Conor McGregor and uh, Uriah Faber, um, which is a very fun season, by the way. And it's very fun to go back to that season 
and look at where all those fighters uh, went because it's so fucking random. It's so weird. Like, uh, so, like, the winner of that season was Saul Rogers, uh, and he never... What is it? He, no, 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 no. He got kicked off before... Oh, I got, I got to go back and, and watch that. But there was some shit with Saul Rogers' visa where he, he lied about his visa. And I think he fights over in Bellator now. But he, he's doing fine. Uh, you look at his record and it's pretty good. And then fucking Ryan Hall was on that season. And he's, he's definitely the best fighter to come from that season because he's like right on the border of the top 10 and at the featherweight division. And nobody wants to fight him. Um, fuck, you had like Julian Arosa who got... Who, who found his way to the UFC, got cut, and then he came back. I think he's still in the UFC now because he beat Sean Woodson. Uh, and then Quarantillo and, and uh, well, obviously Artem. But that's that's a fun season. That's a really fun season. I think Joel Alvarez uh, was on that season as well. I think he's still in the UFC. So just... It's 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 fun to go back and look. I'm really excited for the Ultimate Fighter to return if they do it correctly. Um, but uh, not, again, neither here nor there. Uh, if I didn't make it clear enough, Billy Quarantillo uh, by decision. Uh, moving on here, we'll have a lightweight fight between uh, Renato Moicano and Rafael. Is it Rafael or Rafael? I think it's Rafael because he's not South American. He's Kyrgyzstani or whatever. So we'll go Rafael Fiziev. Uh, Moicano is 14-3-1. Fiziev is 8-1. and one. Uh, According to Bovada, uh, they will have Fiziev as the minus 135 favorite. Um, this, this is a tough one to pick, to be honest, because uh, two fighters on completely different trajectories. So uh, Moicano, he did get a very hilarious win in his last fight over uh, Demir Hadzovic, uh, where he choked him out in 44 seconds. That was the guy who uh, th- th- there was like some pushing or shoving, or like they were talking shit after the fight, uh, and, and Hadzovic was mad that he got finished. And then I think Moicano was like, uh, "Well, I wish the fight would have gone longer." And then Hadzovic was like, "Well, you shouldn't have fucking choked me out." Uh, which is fucking hilarious. Just work on your on your defense. But, uh, yeah, so that was funny. But um, a guy who's just had a real fucking tough stretch of fighters, uh, when you look at his resume, um, before that, losses to uh, the Korean Zombie. Uh, that was a main event down in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and then got knocked out by uh, Jose Aldo. But a uh, win over uh, Cub Swanson, a win over Calvin Cater before we really even knew uh, Cater was that good. I th- I think I think he won that fight because of uh, leg kicks. I don't think Calvin Cater checked a single damn leg kick in that fight. So my first impression of Calvin Cater was uh, a really bad one because he couldn't check a single leg kick. Obviously, I turned out to be a little wrong on that one because you know he's he's knocking on the door of uh, a title shot. But um, yeah, so and and you know his first loss ever was getting choked out by uh, Brian Ortega. Um, so he, he's just had a, a tough go of it. Fair enough, because those are some really tough fighters. This is his first... I, I don't want to say an easy fight, because if it turns out Fiziev is in the top fucking five a year from now, you know, that, that's not exactly what I mean uh, when, when I say this is his first easy fight, but, it, but it's his first fight that's not 
a well-established killer. Fazeev could be a killer. I'm not saying he's not. But, you know, all of those guys before him, I mean, one of these things are not like the other outside of the Hadzovich fight. Obviously, that guy, you know, I think he got cut after that fight. So fair enough with that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like that he went up to 155. I think he's a little tall for 145. I think he's, I think he's like 5'11". Um, so I kind of like that he went up to, to 155 after things didn't exactly work uh, super well uh, down there. Uh, hopefully his his striking has improved because uh, obviously his BJJ is really good, a lot of chokes on his, on his record. But uh, you know the and these are very high level strikers too, by the way. But you know, hey, if you if you want to have another main event, if you want to fight for a title, you're gonna face high level strikers certainly at at lightweight. So hopefully Morcano's striking has improved, um, you know, significantly because you know getting knocked out in two of your last three fights um, rather quickly too. Um, and emphatically, uh, you're gonna have to work on that, especially against Fazeev, because, you know, Fazeev was that guy who, I, f- I forget his opponent, but he was the guy who did that Matrix-style lean back, uh, with a head kick, uh, coming his way, and that's why he kind of became, uh, Twitter famous, but, uh, you know, Fazeev is no, no joke, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about his ground game, to be honest with you, but I do know that his striking is really good, so this is an interesting, interesting matchup, because uh, we know that Moicano has struggled with strikers. Um, we don't know how Fazeev handles grapplers, so perhaps that's a weakness. I'm, you know, Again, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying perhaps it is, because I don't know. Maybe he's just as good of a grappler, in, in, in which case I would favor Fazeev in this fight. To be honest, I'm going to favor Fazeev anyway. I think Fazeev is going to get it done by a unanimous decision. Um, I, think, I think he's a really good striker. Um, if, if he can keep this fight away from the ground, in my estimation, that's probably his best chance to win it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go Fazeev uh, by decision on this one. Uh, looks like uh, fans are really divided on this one. It's it's really a 55-45 proposition, probably favoring Fazeev, uh, if, if you look at what the fans uh, have to say about it. But, uh, yeah, I think I'll go Fazeev by decision. All right, moving on here to the prelim headliner, I think at least. I mean, I never know. I always say it is, and then two fights, you know, get canceled the seven minutes before they're supposed to go on, and then the order changes. But um, as of now, uh, the prelim headliner is a featherweight fight between Cub Swanson and Daniel Pineda. Cub Swanson is 26-11, and 11, Pineda is 27-13. and 13. Uh, Bovada is going to have Daniel Pineda as the minus 160 favorite. Uh, excuse me, that's bet online. Uh, they'll actually have him as a minus 170 favorite. So that is that is interesting. And of the, I really like bestfightodds.com. They don't pay me anything, but I'll, I'll just sh- shout them out because I, I like them. And they have a, a list of uh, a bunch of different sports books. And no sports book has Cub Swanson as the favorite. So that's it. Honestly, that's a little surprising. And Pineda did have a, a very good last outing. Uh, this was a, a short-notice guy uh, coming into the UFC. His record is... It's gaudy. I mean, you know, 26 and 13 heading into the UFC is not... Uh, you know, that's a fair amount of losses. A good amount of wins. No, Don't get me wrong. Um, 
but I don't think anybody expected him to have the type of performance that he had against Herbert Burns, uh, brother of Gilbert Burns, brother of Dilbert Burns. Um, yeah, fucking weird names down there. But uh, yeah, that that's uh, he had a really good performance because I think I want to say Herbert Burns was a significant favorite in that fight. So I always love when fighters come in short notice or just not a lot of hype. I mean, they're just here to get beat. And, uh, you know, they, they perform well, you know, kind of like a, um, oh fuck. Who is that guy who I, I was wrong about and then wrong about him when I picked him to win. He was the, oh, comma worthy. That's who it is. Comma worthy. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like a comma worthy where you're like, that record is fucking terrible. This guy's going to get, you know, the, the, the floor mopped with him and then, you know, has two emphatic knockouts to start his career and then you know obviously lost his third fight but uh, I, I love stuff like that and this is a real tough test against Cub Swanson I, I'm honestly surprised Swanson's not the favorite um, although I mean his he's seen better days that's uh, there, there's no question about that he's he was on a four fight losing streak before he uh, got back on track uh, I think on that UFC Tampa card because uh, I think it was the co-main event against Cron uh, Gracie uh, way too much, way too soon for Kron Gracie. His striking was was nowhere near ready to to take on a guy uh, on the level of Cub Swanson. Although he fought valiantly, uh, you know, to give him to give him credit. But um, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm getting with Cub Swanson because every time he's supposed to fight uh, a big name fighter, like this, just perfectly encapsulates Cub Swanson. So uh, I'm gonna look at his fights since. The midway point of 2014. A loss to Edgar and a loss to Holloway. Okay, makes sense. Those are very good fighters. You're supposed to lose to very good fighters if you're, you know, the average fighter. Then he goes on a four-fight winning streak against Hakron Diaz, Tatsuya, Kawajiri, Duho Choi, and Artem Lobov. So he beats four fighters who are worse than him. Okay, that makes sense. If you're if you're an average fighter, you're supposed to beat bad fighters. That makes sense. Then, four straight losses to Ortega, Edgar, Moicano, and Shane Burgos. Four straight losses to good fighters. So, Cub Swanson is just an average fighter. If he faces a good fighter, he's going to lose. If he faces a bad fighter, he's supposed to win. The, the only question mark for me, and then he beats Kron Gracie, who's, you know... I don't want to say a bad fighter because he's just he's just young. He's not at that level yet. He I think he will be because he, he's got a, an elite skill he gets a little more well-rounded but at that point in time I don't think he was a good fighter to the level of like fighters who are ranked obviously he's a fucking good fighter in the grand scheme of things you know what I mean but um the the only thing with with Cub Swanson is he's 37 so that's I mean that's really getting up there that's especially for for a featherweight I mean oh there's not a lot of 37 year old featherweights who are still you know kicking ass and taking names and I I feel like he tore his ACL a couple of years ago, or he's had, uh, uh, so a, a, a year ago to the day, wow, that is spooky, a year ago to the day at Quintet Ultra, he lost via injury to Jake Shields, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up, because I, I, I could have swore, uh, like he tore his Achilles or something, or it was it was like a rather significant injury. Like it, I remember that being a big deal. Uh, holy shit! Yeah, he tore his ACL and meniscus <laughs> against uh, uh, Jake Shields. So okay, that 
that, uh, that starts to make a lot more sense to me. So you know what? I'm going Daniel Pineda, and I'm going to go Daniel Pineda by decision because I think Cubs wants it still a tough fighter. But holy shit, uh, 12 months later, you're coming back as a 37-year-old off of a torn ACL, torn meniscus, and you're going to fight? I mean... Th- it's one thing to come back in football or basketball or baseball with a torn ACL a year later, but, I mean, it's cliche, but, like, fighting is life and death. Like, holy shit, you're risking, as evidence by his fucking knee injury, you're risking serious injury. That's just, that's crazy, man. I hope he doesn't get injured, but, man, you're just, and fighters are tough as shit, man, but that's that's just tempting fate. <coughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, that changes everything. Uh, I'm going to go Pineda by decision. All right, moving on here to the main card, a stacked main card. Uh, we have the main card opener here between Junior Dos Santos and Cyril Gaon. Uh, JDS is 21-8. and eight. Cyril Gaon is 6-0. and oh. We'll take a look at the uh, Bovada odds. They'll have Cyril Gaon as the heavy, heavy, heavy minus 400 favorite we'll take a look if i could pull it up here uh the rankings for north star sports um definitely two ranked fighters i don't know where we have jds ranked to be honest um let's see here we have him ranked at number seven and cyril gone is number 13 so this is a very big leap for cyril gone this really could be a breakout fight uh for cyril uh i mean if he beats JDS, he will be ranked at number seven because that's how North Star Sports rankings work. So, fuck, I mean, he could shatter the top ten, be on the doorstep of the top five. I mean, this is the hottest thing going right now in the heavyweight division when you look at, at uh, you know, prospects. Uh, I think he's still on the right side of 30, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so he turned 30. But 30 is young as shit. 30, dude, we have heavyweights fighting when they're 42, so this guy might have fucking 12 years left in his career. Uh, just a specimen, six foot four, two forty-seven, just yoked, and that's what I like to see. Cyril Gaon is the future of the heavyweight division, and you, you look at sloppy, overweight middleweights and light heavyweights like John Volante and Jake Collier fighting in the heavyweight division, or Parker Porter who you know needs to mix in a salad. Those guys won't be in the UFC in five years. And not even just them personally, but fighters like that. We won't have obese fighters in the heavyweight division in five years. As the sport grows and as it becomes a number one option, not just, uh, well, I'm going to pick up fighting at 24 years old. You know, as like we have kids train for MMA as, as a fucking seven-year-old, we're not going to have obese heavyweight fighters. We're going to have guys who just look like Cyril Gaon, who are just big guys, but they're not fat. Uh, which is a great thing for the sport because none of that fat will will help you at all. Uh, Parker Porter could lose sixty pounds and he would be exactly the same. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It, w- it would help him because you you he wouldn't be wearing a fat suit. Um, but yeah, Cyril Gaon is the future. This is the perfect matchup for him. I feel so fucking bad for JDS. By the way, I mean, I think he's been knocked out in. Th- three or four consecutive fights uh there needs to be a serious discussion of him retiring okay he's been knocked out in three straight fights in ganu blades and rosenstrike all pretty bad all pretty bad uh knockouts too by the way so uh i feel so bad for him he's just he's being used as a stepping stone here i don't think there's a legitimate pass 
uh, path for JDS to get back to the title. Um, he he is only 36, which is a little a little bit surprising, but like, okay, if he beats Cyril Gaon, what happens? Does he move up a spot in the rankings? I don't think so. The, the, the only thing he's fighting for at this point is a paycheck, or or maybe just to have fun. I don't. I guess I don't pretend to know his reasons, but uh, there needs to be a serious discussion about him retiring. Of course, you know you know my ultimate stance on this. I don't give a fuck. So if he wants to keep fighting till he's 58 years old, I don't care. It's not my body. I get knocked out a hundred times in a row. I don't care. But my opinion uh, is that he probably should think about retiring or think about going to like a Bellator or like a PFL or something where it's things are a little bit easier. You can still get paid. You can still compete, still have fun. But listen, he's just not an elite fighter. He's, he's just not a good fighter anymore. And that's sad to say. I really like JDS. He seems like one of the nicest guys uh, in the heavyweight division, one of the nicest guys in the UFC. So it's really unfor- unfortunate to see him get knocked out. And I think he's going to get knocked the fuck out in this fight. Cyril Ghosn is a fucking killer. And it's crazy to think they're only six years apart. I guess I th- I would have figured JDS is a little older. Um, but man, he is light years older uh, when it comes to fight years. When it comes to fight years, JDS is a 70-year-old and, and Cyril Ghosn is a 14-year-old. So uh, this is crazy. Uh, I want to take a look at uh, some of the prop bets here for this fight because I, I want to see what it is. So it's actually a minus 105 favorite that Cyril Gaon wins by TKO or KO. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of tells you everything you, you need to know here. Um, Let's see here. It's, the website's a little funky with the layout. Um, boy, it, it sure looks like 85% of uh, fans. Uh, I, I, I suppose the fans are, are the ones who project the uh, expected outcome, or maybe that's actually just them crunching the numbers. But the numbers favor Cyril Gaon, and they favor it by they favor Cyril Gaon by a finish. Um, so I know I just said it's a minus 105 favorite that uh, Cyril Gaon wins by TKO or KO. I'm looking at the little bar here. The the bar is like four or five times bigger that Cyril Gaon gets a KO than than JDS even wins the fight. So that's that's real real crazy. Um, yeah, I think he wins probably by first round KO, if not round two. Cyril Gaon has been a little bit patient, um, which is why I like him as a fighter because he's not just a fucking blitzing marauder. Um, I, I think his fight IQ is actually really high. So, I mean, he went to a, a unanimous decision victory over Tanner Bozer. So, you know, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, force force the finish. But uh, he, he's a smart guy. Um, I guess I'll go like round two TKO because, uh, again, I think he'll take his time. JDS is still a really good boxer. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. JDS... He puts himself in weird positions sometimes when he's striking. So even though even though he's an elite boxer, like I don't know, like when he got knocked out against Ngannou, he he just he overextended himself to where like the back of his head was like just in the perfect spot possible for a left hook or not even a left hook because he's basically just a fucking tabletop at that point, a left strike from Ngannou. And so, I don't know. I think sometimes he gets a little wily uh, when when it comes to his positioning, if I can say so myself, because I am certainly not a fucking striking coach. I am as average, as casual of a technical 
fucking viewer as possible, but just in my own fucking experience, uh, you get this a little weird with his positioning. So, uh, let's see here. Moving on. Oh, one final thing, uh, excuse me, with Cyril gone. He's had four consecutive fights canceled in a row. So, this guy probably could have been in the top five already. Canceled fights against uh, Shamil Abderakimov twice, uh, Sergei Pavlovich, and Antti Dalija. Uh, so, he, he's been supposed to... He, he's supposed to fought in April so I mean he's been waiting forever so it's good to see him get a fight and you know paid off because this was better than any of the other fights I had for him but yeah it'll, it'll be a dominant gone victory all right moving on here still on the main card uh in the middleweight division we'll have Kevin the trailblazer Holland taking on uh Jacare Souza Holland is 20 and 5 Jacare is 26 and 8 take a look at the odds here they will have uh jacare as the minus 125 favorite actually you look at the line movement the line has changed 37 percent in favor of jacare that's the biggest movement biggest line movement since opening of any fighter on this card i don't know what the fuck that means but if it's the biggest line movement that tells me that people are changing their mind significantly in the favor of jacare um Fans, fans are still pretty divided. Looks like the, the, the expected outcome does favor Jacare uh, ever so slightly. I don't know who does the expected outcome to, by the way. I don't know if that's fucking Nate Silver, in which, if that's the case, then, you know, disregard these fucking numbers completely. Um, but I, I'm fascinated by this fight. Uh, I mean, we don't have Jacare ranked. Um, but I'm sure the UFC has him ranked. I'll, I'll pull it up. Not that not that UFC rankings mean anything, um, other than well, I mean, I guess it's the tech, uh, technically the rankings they go by. But um, let us see here. Um, okay, Jacare is not even Jacare is not ranked. Actually, this is a bigger fight for Kevin Holland because they have Kevin Holland ranked at number 15. So so it's the other way around than than what you'd think. Um, but obviously, obviously, Jacare is a legend of the fucking sport. So this, there's still a lot uh, to gain here for Kevin Holland, um, especially because Kevin Holland's just beating, been beating up on on no names, and it's not his fault at all. Because it seems like every fight he has, his opponent falls out. So you got to feel for Kevin Holland. Um, but this, this is definitely his uh, his biggest test uh, to date. One of my favorite fighters. I've been saying for probably a year that he's probably, in my mind, he's a top five striker at middleweight. I think his striking is something incredibly special. Um, on a, uh, a four-fight winning streak, uh, he had that hellacious knockout of Anthony Hernandez, a, a pretty good knockout, more than a pretty good knockout, actually, a, a solid knockout of Joaquin Buckley, the fight before he became, you know, the star he is. Uh, kind of a weird split decision victory over Darren Stewart, a little funky, not his best performance. And then a, a, a neck injury slam of, of Charlie Ontiveros. Never should have fought Charlie Ontiveros. That was a late-notice guy. Um, does not belong in the UFC. And, and Kevin Holland probably belongs, you know, in the top 10. So that was just a huge mismatch. Um, but, you know, th- this is this is more his size. And uh, it'll say a lot. His, his last loss came against Brendan Allen, who I'm a huge fan of, even though he... Uh, got beat by um, Sean Strickland. He got beat by Str- Sean Strickland. I, I'm still very high on uh, Brendan Allen, but um, 
It's crazy to think that Kevin Holland has had, like... Jesus, Kevin Holland's had, like, fucking ten fights in the UFC already. I mean, he's more of a UFC vet than a lot of these guys, and he fucking just got here. He just got here. Um, but but should be a good one. Uh, Jacare, uh, he, he's on a two-fight losing streak, so he lost to Jan Blahovich and uh, Jack Hermanson. The, the problem with him and the reason why we don't have him ranked and why he's, probably why he's not ranked in the UFC is kind of switching between light heavyweight and middleweight, uh, especially when you're losing fights. If you're winning fights and you're straddling two divisions, um, okay, I mean, then you're winning fights. That's ultimately a good thing. But when you're losing fights and swapping uh, divisions, you're, you're losing traction because you're losing, but you're losing traction even quicker because you're not committing to a division. So Jacare is a very tough fighter. You're, you're not going to get anybody who you know has him in the rankings just because it, it, nobody knows where to put him. Uh, he is up there in age, so I, I don't know if middleweight is his... Well, there probably isn't a long-term division for Jacare because he probably doesn't have a long-term career doing this, given he's 41. But I don't know if middleweight is his division. I could easily see him win or, or loss uh, moving up to, to light heavyweight again. So, you know, I don't know. I think, unfortunately for him, he's kind of a tweener. Um, not the not the biggest guy at uh, at light heavyweight, but uh, or, or excuse me, not the biggest guy at uh, at middleweight, but you know a little too small for for light heavyweight. Um, fuck, it's just tough though because he's faced stellar opponents. You know, I I am gonna go with Kevin Holland on this one. I I think the numbers would tell you to go with Jacare. It's just it's just tough, man. It's 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 tough. It is projecting a little bit on the part of Kevin Holland because we have not seen him to this point beat somebody uh, who, who's the caliber of Jacare, but Jacare's just getting up there, man. He's, he's definitely losing more than he's winning, albeit against solid fighters, but I, I think he's probably met his match, and um, yeah, I, th- I think he'll uh, lose. We'll go by decision because honestly... Nobody really finishes Jacare. I don't. I don't think he's been finished more than once uh, in his UFC career. Yeah, he's been finished twice in his career. Once by Gegard uh, in Dream of all places, and then once by uh, Robert Whitaker. So tough motherfucker. But uh, yeah, unanimous decision lost there uh, from Souza, Kevin Holland with the dub. All right, moving on here to the featured bout in the strawweight division. We'll have Mackenzie Dern taking on Virna Jandaroba. Uh, Dern is nine nine and one. Jandaroba is sixteen and one. Uh, Mackenzie Dern is the minus one seventy favorite. Um, not a whole lot to say on on this one. A um, lot a lot of people like Mackenzie Dern. I don't know if they like her for her uh, fighting prowess or if they like her for other reasons. Uh, that's not for me to decide. Um, what is just a fact is that she fakes an accent um, as American as Americans get, uh, developed an accent somewhere uh, between adulthood and where she is now. Um, so just a really fascinating person. I, I think of every female fighter, that's that's the most fascinating fighter, Mackenzie Dern. Um, obviously an interesting career. Um, a, a, you know, a, a solid prospect, even even now, even though it's cooled off a little bit, um, but just psychologically interesting. I would like to know why she fakes an accent. I think that that's probably the most interesting thing uh, to me. Um, and then Jandaroba, 
I don't think she's lost in the UFC. Oh, nope, she lost her UFC debut to Carla Esparza. That's a little rich. That's a little rich. Uh, but rebound wins over Mallory Martin and Felice Herrig. Uh, this, is, this is definitely her toughest test against Mackenzie Dern. And, uh, you know, for Dern, Hebos was, was a low-key uh, uh, tough test. I mean, we, we, we really see how her career has, uh, you know, just skyrocketed over the last couple of fights and uh you know uh, that's definitely probably been her her toughest task probably the better bjj practitioner as well um amanda hibas um i'm gonna go mackenzie dern by decision not really for any profound reason just mackenzie dern by decision all right moving on here to the co-main event of the evening it's a lightweight fight here between tony ferguson and charles Oliveira. Tony Ferguson is 25 and 4. Oliveira 29 and 8. We'll take a look at the odds here from Bovada. They will have Tony Ferguson as the minus 170 favorite. Doesn't look like any of the <clears throat> excuse me sports books have uh, Oliveira as the favorite. Uh, but they're all it's all real close. It's all between 190 and 150 uh, in, in the favor of Tony Ferguson. And this is probably the the actually no without a doubt this is the most fascinating fight uh, on this card. Um, let's take a look here at North Star Sports UFC uh, rankings. Uh, they will have Tony Ferguson as the number three lightweight and Charles Oliveira at number five. Um, sneaky title eliminator. Sneaky title eliminator. Um, I know that uh, Poirier and McGregor are facing each other, and obviously if fucking McGregor wins, he's going to get a title shot against anybody if he wants. But I don't know. He's kind of been tough to negotiate with, and, and the UFC is is weird uh, you know, when it comes to, hey, if you say no to our offer, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just go with someone else. So I think a very sneaky title eliminator here, um, and just fascinating because... Not that long ago, Tony Ferguson was the boogeyman of this division. He had a 12-fight winning streak or something crazy. It might have even been 13 or 14. Uh, but, man, that's really, really soured with with that just ass-beating that Justin Gaethje put on him. Uh, at no point in that fight did it look like uh, Tony Ferguson was going to win the fight. And uh, to make things worse, he got knocked out. So, you know, it was five rounds of just getting the shit beaten out of you and then... Nice little finish at the end. Um, but this is the million-dollar question surrounding this fight when when you look at, uh, you know, the prospects of Tony Ferguson. How much stock do we put in that last fight? Did it, did it completely ruin him? Did it destroy him? No, probably not. But, you know, did that kill his confidence? Is he still the same guy? Uh, you know, that, that, was a, that was a pretty demoralizing loss. That was, like I said, was not even close not even remotely close so how much you know I, I i could very easily see myself overreacting to that performance and and thus picking Oliveira, or i could very see myself easily justifying the fact that hey it was only one fight ferguson's still the man he's gonna get it done we don't know and that's the fun in the fight um but ah, man it's just such a big question mark that Ah, it's it's tough. It, it's tough to decipher what's going to happen, and, and especially because with Oliveira, fuck man. I mean, he's he's 
kind of become what Tony Ferguson was a few years ago. Because you look at uh, nobody wants to fight Charles Oliveira. You get nothing from beating him because he's not a big name, even though he has the most submissions in UFC history. But he's not a big name. He's not a star. If you beat him, you're not going to shoot up the rankings 10 spots. Uh, and if you fight him, you're probably going to lose because he's, you know, on a fucking insane winning streak. So, you know, Oliveira has kind of become the boogeyman of the lightweight division in my estimation. And, uh, you know, again, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight winning streak all in the UFC. And this, by the way, this was a guy who was in the UFC when he was 20. He's been here for 11 fucking years, which is insane. And, uh, you know, just kind of corrected the ship. Not that, not that it was ever going the wrong way necessarily, even though he did pile up some losses at one point in his career. But, you know, just to be here this long and 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 to be on the streak he is now, man, you got to give it to, to Du Bronx. And again, not the, not the greatest fighters. He hasn't beat, he hasn't beaten the greatest fighters on this streak but in fairness tony ferguson during the early part of his streak it's not like he was beating fucking world champions on the early part of that streak but you know clay guida christos yagos jim miller david tamer nick lentz jared gordon and then kevin lee that was that was a big one so i don't know man again when you project the trajectory of charles Oliveira, fuck it gets really really scary this is a very pivotal fight for Oliveira. And, uh, fuck, my, my, my heart wants me to pick Oliveira. It really does. Everything, everything tells me that I should pick Ferguson, but man, it's just a gut feeling. I, I, I just feel like Oliveira is going to get the win. Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to pick Tony Ferguson, but fuck me if I, if I didn't think deep down that Oliveira is going to get this done. I mean, he's just absolutely surging, um, I want to take a little bit of a closer look at some of the prop bets here because um, I'm sure they are are, uh, are fascinating. It's uh, plus 165. The fight doesn't go to a decision, so they project a finish. Um, I want to see the odds that uh, Oliveira wins by submission. So it's plus three twenty-five. You know, I don't understand. I don't understand some of those those other prop bets. Um, but really, the big thing for me here with the fight with Oliveira and Ferguson is where does it take place? Again, we said it with uh, the Vittori and Hermanson fight. Um, that's the most interesting part to me because Ferguson, really creative, interesting striker. I mean, throws in Imanari rules, does fucking wacky shit, throws sand at people. Like, Tony Ferguson's just a fucking weird guy, and that is really reflected in his fighting. But he's also super fucking dangerous on the ground. I mean, Tony Ferguson, holy shit. I mean, the Darce Knight. But, Charlie's old. You could make the case that Oliveira is more dangerous on the ground. I mean, for fuck's sake, he has more he has more submission victories than Ferguson. He has the most in UFC history. So, Oliveira is dangerous as shit on the ground, but at the same time, the big difference for Oliveira's always been good at, at at the ground game. He's always been good at submissions. But I think why he's been on this seven-fight winning streak and why he's beating guys like Kevin Lee is his striking is so much better. His striking has just improved leaps and bounds. So I I don't know who has the advantage anywhere. Oliveira might be a better striker than Ferguson. If if yeah if he had a gun to my head, I would say 
I think Tony Ferguson is slightly the better striker, and I think Oliveira is slightly better on the ground. I think that's true. That's my best estimation. But fuck me, I wouldn't want to mess with Tony Ferguson on the ground. So do we see Oliveira even go to the ground? A lot of times when there's two high-level grapplers, it's a kickboxing match. I, I don't know why. It's a weird sensation. But look at Ben Askren, Damian Maya. Mostly a kickboxing match. Look at Covington and Usman, two of the best wrestlers uh, at welterweight. Didn't go to the ground for even a single second. So it, it's weird. If I had to guess, this fight probably takes place standing up. Therefore, I would favor Ferguson slightly. But, I mean, Jesus. I mean, if Ferguson wants to take Oliveira to the ground, dude, I think you're living in Oliveira's world. I, I really do. It's close, but man, so that's the fun part for me. Like, I don't know. I don't know where it takes place. But then again, if it's a kickboxing match, maybe Oliveira fucking knocks him out. Oliveira's, I mean, he's he's so much. If he improved as much uh, in his last couple of fights as he has for this fight when it comes to his striking, oh, he might have passed Ferguson by. And that's another thing, too. I mean, Ferguson's had some serious, serious injuries. Uh, you know what I mean? Tearing the ACL or MCL or whatever, tripping over the, the wire. I mean, he's 36 years old. He's been in some fucking wars, especially his last fight. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's passed him by. Maybe the damage has accumulated against uh, Tony Ferguson. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just I am going to go Tony Ferguson. I just, maybe maybe that's that's me not adjusting to the data. Uh, and going with the hot hand in Oliveira, but I just somehow, some way, I, I'm holding on to you know the the the, the prior iterations of Tony Ferguson, and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Tony Ferguson by decision. It's just it's a tough one, one of the toughest fights to pick all year, I, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. This is a fascinating fight. All right, moving on to the main event of the evening. It's for the flyweight title. It's between uh, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Uh, Davison Figueredo is 20 and 1. Brandon Moreno is 18, 5 and 1. We'll take a look at the Bovada odds. They'll have Davison Figueredo as the minus 350 favorite. Uh, we'll take. Actually, I don't even have to look at the North Star Sports. Uh, rankings because Davison's the champ and uh, we moved Brandon Moreno to the number one contender after he beat uh, fuck what's his name Uh, Brandon Royval yeah so that's fascinating I love it I love it when a plan comes together I love it when timelines line up I mean they both fought at UFC 255 they're here three weeks later makes perfect sense I think Brandon Moreno quite frankly should have had the title shot uh, at 255 Alex Perez beat nobody. He was 5-1 and one in the UFC, beat absolutely nobody, beat a grandpa in Juicy Formiga, especially for a, a, a flyweight. I, I think Perez, and obviously he got choked out rather fucking quickly, which proves my point that he never should have got a title shot. Um, so I thought it should have been Brandon Moreno anyway, but, you know, you beat Roy Vaughn, you get another win. Uh, you know, this is the fight that has to be made. I didn't think it'd be made this fucking quickly, but, hey, they both had quick fights. They both didn't take any damage. And uh, I, I think we'll I think we'll get a good fight because I think uh, you're just kind of rolling one training camp, not even really into another training camp. It's three weeks later, so I love it. 
Both fighters have a shit ton of momentum. They both performed at the highest level just three weeks ago with no damage. So they're already in the mindset. They're already in the training camp. You know, it, it's it's two training camps for the price of one. You know what I mean? It's nothing better than that. Um, I, I do think, uh, before we get a, a little deeper into it, I am picking Davison to win by uh, knockout uh, in, in round two. I think Davison is significantly the better fighter. I don't... I think this will be a good fight for everything I just said, but I I, I don't think Davison will ever be in trouble. I think uh, he, he's, he's by far the better fighter. I do not see Brandon Moreno winning this fight. Uh, Davison is just... Davison... You know what? I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Davison's the best flyweight we've ever had. He's the best flyweight champion we've ever had. Now, not when it comes to title defenses. Uh, when I say best, I mean, I mean, I mean the best. I don't mean the greatest. I mean the best. The, so the greatest flyweight champion, the greatest flyweight of all time in U.S. history is, is Demetrius Johnson. Can't argue with that. Uh, probably has the most wins in, in flyweight history, certainly has the most title defenses, you know, all of that, um, you, you know what I mean? So, Demetrius is the greatest, but the best, the best flyweight ever in the UFC is Davison Figueredo. This guy just, I mean, I guess it was a guillotine choke in his last fight, but it would have been a knockout. I mean, all of his submissions just come from fucking, you know, what would have been a knockout, but, you know, they just gave him a submission because, you know, the, the fighter didn't want to take punches to the head and, you know, an opening happened on the ground and, you know, he saw it. But Davison is, Davison is fucking dangerous. He's, he's so quick. I can't wait for his fight with Cody Garbrandt. That's going to be really, really fun because I think Garbrandt's probably the quickest fighter uh, in the UFC, so that'll be incredibly fun. Um, and I think it's a 99% chance it happens because I don't see him losing to Moreno. I mean, Joseph Benavidez is the best UFC fighter to never win a champion, uh, to win a championship. I mean, you look at what he did. It's a little weird because it's flyweight, so a lot of people don't know the names as well as they would know some of the contenders historically at middleweight. But, I mean, you know, four title shots, lost them all. Um, he's only ever lost to, like, really top guys. outside. Of, I think he has a weird loss in there to, like, Sergio Pettis or something. But, like, you know, two losses to Demetrius... I think two losses to Dominic Cruz, like he only ever loses to the best guys, and D- Davison just clowned him, just clowned him in their two fights. What is it? In in the second fight, he had like three knockdowns in the first round, uh, you know, just clowned him. So Davison is something special. He single-handedly, Henry Cejudo did not save the flyweight division. Davison Figueredo is is saving the flyweight division. And look at how many fighters the UFC has been signing to the flyweight division. They weren't signing these guys when Cejudo was champ. They were signing them when Davison was the champ. So uh, Davison's the man. Uh, he's too he's too fast. His striking is too good. Uh, we've seen improvements in his ground game, as as evident by uh, you know his his, his uh, uh, choking of uh, Alex Perez. But I don't know what Moreno brings to the table that Davison can't handle. And Moreno is a solid fighter, but. I, I just don't see it, man. I, I, I really don't. This is the guy who went to a split decision draw with uh, Askar Askarov just a little more than a year ago. You know, a loss to Pantoja, a loss to Pettis. You know, props to him because he's, he's stuck together and, and you know, he's, he's uh, you know, been stacking up some of the wins. But, uh, man, I, I, just, I would be legitimately shocked. And I'm not just saying it. I would be legitimately shocked if Brandon Moreno won this fight. 
I do not see it happening. Um, but I guess crazier things have happened, but I, I, I would be shocked. Um, if I can make any sense of some of these fucking prop bets, I do want to take a look at it. Uh, it's a minus 235 uh, favorite that the fight does not go to a decision, so they uh, are, are definitely projecting a finish um, in this fight. Um, let's see here. It's plus 460 Moreno wins by decision. You know, honestly, I think that's probably the most likely way Moreno wins is just by a decision. I think if you told me this fight goes to a five-round decision, I'd be like, hmm, that's a little weird. That's so weird, in fact, that I might think that Moreno won. I think it, I think it's either Moreno chokes him out really early or Moreno wins by a decision, which which does sound weird when you talk about the spread. But I think like anything in between, it's Davison. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, let's see. Yeah, you, looking at the projections, too, of the expected outcome, I mean, Jesus, like 91% uh, Davison. And of that 91%, probably like 90% of that is a finish. So they're they're really predict, uh, predicting Davison-Figueredo uh, by a finish and the line movement has moved 19% in the favor of uh, of Davison uh, since opening. So I don't know what the opening odds were, but uh, uh, that's that's a little uh, it's a little little surprising. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll go Davison by uh, round two TKO. All right, with that, uh, I think I've hit everything. I think I have hit everything. So, yeah, uh, the uh, the main card showdown December World Grand Prix will begin in, in just a, uh, a matter of hours. So uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at NorthStarMIN to follow that. It'll be very interesting. Of course, Jordan versus Reagan and me versus Drew. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, you, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. Check out NorthStar sports.media for uh, updated rankings we do mock drafts now for the nfl every wednesday so uh be sure to check that out just something interesting to look at don't put a whole ton of thought into it but you know just something to put out there um yeah and, and that's basically it thanks for tuning in everybody